Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is from On Heroes, Hero Worship, and the Heroic in History by Thomas Carlyle. Tonight, we will be going through Lecture 1, The Hero as Divinity, Odin, Paganism, Scandinavian Mythology. Thomas Carlyle was a Scottish historian, satirical writer, essayist, translator, philosopher, and mathematician. Needless to say, he was an accomplished man. Carlyle's book on heroes was published in 1841, where he argued that all history is the making of great men of action, gifted with supreme powers of vision. Because of this, it's one's duty to have reverence for great men and be great heroes ourselves, because throughout the shifting sands of time, heroes and their work are the only fixed points that remain among us. Tonight you will hear Carlyle outline his philosophy on hero worship and the importance of works of great men throughout history. His expose on the topic will remind you that your life and actions have real-world importance that carry through the generations. His philosophy invites you to create the world that you wish to see and calls us to recognize our divinely appointed responsibility to walk the warrior path. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. We wish that we had the time to read the whole chapter to you, but the sections we highlighted are a great starting point and example of Carlyle's philosophy and its implications for your life. So relax and enjoy. Lectures on Heroes The Hero as Divinity We have undertaken to discourse here for a little on great men. Their manner of appearance in our world's business, how they have shaped themselves in world history, what ideas men formed of them, what work they did, on heroes, namely, and on their reception and performance, what I call hero worship and the heroic in human affairs. Too evidently, this is a large topic, deserving quite other treatment that we can expect to give it at present. A large topic indeed, an illimitable one. Why does universal history itself, or as I take it, universal history, the history of what man has accomplished in the world is at bottom the history of great men who have worked here. They were the leaders of men, these great ones, the molders, patterns, and in a wide sense creators of whatsoever the general masses of men 
tribe to do or attain. All things that we see standing accomplished in the world are properly the outer material result, the practical realization and embodiment of thoughts that dwelt in great men sent into the world. The soul of the whole world's history, it may justly be considered, were the history of these. Too clearly, it is a topic we shall do no justice to in this place. One comfort is that great men, taken up in a way, are profitable company. We cannot look, however, imperfectly upon a great man without gaining something by him. He is the living light fountain, which is good and pleasant to be near. The light which enlightens, which has enlightened the darkness of the world. And this not as a kindled lamp only, but rather as a natural luminary shining by the gift of heaven, a flowing light fountain, as I say, of native original insight, of manhood and heroic nobleness, in whose radiance all souls feel that it is well with them. These classes of heroes, chosen out of widely distant countries and epochs, and in mere external figure differing altogether, ought, if we look faithfully at them, to illustrate several things for us. Could we see them well? We should get some glimpses into the very marrow of the world's history. How happy could I but, in any measure, in such times as these, make manifest to you the meanings of heroism? The divine relation, for I may well call it such, which in at all times unites a great man to other men, and thus, as it were, not exhaust my subject, so much as break ground on it. At all events, I must make the attempt. So something interesting to point out here. Carlyle says that great men make great company. By leading the warrior path in your life, you are making yourself an example for others around you. You're fighting to create in yourself a better, more honorable person every day. And as a result, the world around you is made safer and better because you hold the standard for yourself to be the best version of yourself. That impacts everything around you and everyone. People want to be around you because you're good company. As Carlyle says, let's continue. It is well said in every sense that a man's religion is the chief fact with regard to him, a man's or a nation of men's. By religion, I do not mean here the church creed which he professes, the articles of faith which he will sign, and in words or otherwise assert, not this holy in many cases, not this at all. We see men of all kinds of professed creeds attain to almost all degrees of worth or worthlessness under each or any of them. This is not what I call religion, this profession and assertion, which is often only a profession and assertion from the outworks of the man, 
from the mere argumentative region of him, if even so deep as that. But the thing a man does practically believe, and this is often enough without asserting it even to himself, much less to others, the thing that man does practically lay to heart, and know for certain concerning his vital relations to the mysterious universe, and his duty and destiny there, that is in all cases the primary thing for him, and creatively determines all the rest. That is his religion, or it may be his mere skepticism and no religion. The manner it is in which he feels himself to be spiritually related to the unseen world, or no world. And I say, if you tell me what that is, you tell me to a very great extent what the man is, what the kind of things he will do is. If a man or of a nation we inquire, therefore, first of all, what religion they had. Was it heathenism? Plurality of gods? Mere sensuous representation of the mystery of life? And for the chief recognized element therein, physical force? Answering of this question is giving us the soul of the history of the man or nation. The thoughts they had were the parents of the actions they did. Their feelings were parents of their thoughts. It was the unseen and spiritual in them that determined the outward and actual. Their religion, as I say, was the great fact about them. In these discourses, limited as we are, it will be good to direct our survey chiefly to that religious facet of the matter, that once known well, all is known. Let us look for a little at the hero as divinity, the oldest primary form of heroism. So before we jump in to the rest of the section, it's a really powerful statement that Carlyle is making here. What we actually believe isn't what we say that we believe. Sometimes what we profess to believe is just that, a profession and no more. But our beliefs and our true religion is our actions that result from our inner beliefs about ourselves and the universe. And those actions show the world not only what kind of religion we have, but what kind of men we are and how we see the world. This begs the question, what kind of inner beliefs do you have about yourself and the world around you? What are the things that you act upon every day? And what would it feel like to have an even more heroic personal belief system? Every day of your life, you live it as the hero of your own story. And when you take that into account, you make the world a better place. And you act out your internal beliefs that you are the hero. And that's what helps you win every day. Let's get back into what Carlisle has to say. As we jump into the hero as divinity. He goes on and acknowledges that some would explain paganism as an allegory, but to quote Carlyle, 
The allegory is the product of certainty, not the producer of it. Now, we can't just say that Norse pagan theology was just an underdeveloped primitive theory to explain the world's phenomena. It was real to the men that believed it. And he reminds us of Plato's cave and how if a man were to leave a cave for the first time and see the sunrise in the sky, hear birds and see trees for the first time, he would fall to his knees in reverence of the splendor of nature. Upon seeing the beauty and wonder of the natural world, a new man is awestruck at things that we take for granted every day. Carlyle points out, It's not by our superior insight that we escape the difficulty. It's by our superior levity or inattention to want of insight. It is by not thinking that we cease to wonder at it at all. Which brings us to our next concern with hero worship. That reverence is a built-in aspect of man. We admire the world around us, worship its creator, and wonder at nature. How much more natural and appropriate is it for us to revere heroes and the best of men? So that's where we pick up. That great mystery of time, where there no other, the illimitable, silent, never-resting thing called time, rolling, rushing on, swift, silent, like an all-embracing ocean tide, on which we and all the universe swim like exhalations, like apparitions which are, and then are not. This is forever very literally a miracle, a thing to strike us dumb, for we have no word to speak about it. This universe, ah me, what could the wild man know of it? What can we yet know? That it is a force, in a thousandfold complexity of forces, a force which is not we. That is all. It is not we. It is altogether different from us. Force. Force. Everywhere. Force. We ourselves a mystery. Force in the center of that. Worship is transcendent wonder. Wonder for which there is no limit or measure. That is worship. To these primeval men, these pagans, all things and everything they saw exist beside them were an emblem of the godlike, of some god. And look what perennial fiber of truth was in that, to us also. Through every star, through every blade of grass, is not God made visible? If we will open our mind's eyes, we do not worship in that way now, but it is not reckoned still a merit, proof of what we call a poetic nature, that we recognize how every object has divine beauty in it, how every object still verily is a window through which we may look into infinitude itself. He that can discern the loveliness of things, we call him a poet, painter, man of genius, gifted, lovable. But now, if all things whatsoever that we look upon are emblems to us, the highest God, I add that more so than any of them is man such an emblem. You have heard of St. Christossom's 
celebrated saying in reverence to the Shekinah, or Ark of Testimony, visible revelation of God among the Hebrews. The true Shekinah is man. Yes, it is even so. This is no vain phrase. It is variably so. The essence of our being, the mystery in us that calls itself I. Ah, what words we have for such thing. Is a breath heaven. The highest being reveals himself in man. This body, these faculties, this life of ours, is not all as vesture for the unnamed. There is but one temple in the universe, says the devout Novalis, and this is the body of man. Nothing is holier shall that high form bend before men is reference done to revelation in flesh. We touch heaven when we lay our hand on a human body. This sounds much like mere flourish of rhetoric, but it is not so. If well meditated, it will turn out to be a scientific fact. The expression in such words as can be had, the actual truth of the thing. We are the miracle of miracles, the great inscrutable mystery of God. We cannot understand it. We know not how to speak of it, but we may feel and know, if we like, that it is verily so. Well, these truths were once more readily felt than now. The young generations of the world, who had it in them the freshness of young children, and yet the depth of earnest men, who did not think that they had finished off all things in heaven and earth by merely giving them scientific names, but had to gaze direct at them, with awe and wonder, they felt better. What if divinity is in man and nature? They, without being mad, could worship nature, and man more than anything else in nature. Worship that is, as I said above, admire without limit. This is the full use of their faculties, with all sincerity of heart they could do. I consider hero worship to be the grand modifying element in that ancient system of thought. What I called the perplexed jungle of paganism sprang. We may say out of many roots, every admiration, adoration of a star or natural object as a root of fiber, a root. But hero worship is the deepest root of all, the taproot from which in great degree all the rest were nourished and grown. And now of worship, even of a star had some meaning in it. How much more might that of a hero? Worship of a hero is transcendent admiration of a great man. I say great men are still admirable. I say there is, at bottom, nothing else admirable. No nobler feeling than this of admiration for one higher than himself dwells in the breast of man. It is to this hour and at all hours the vivifying influence in man's life. Religion, I find, stand upon it, not paganism only, but far higher and truer religions, all religion hitherto known. Hero worship, heartfelt prostrate admiration, submission, burning boundless for a noblest godlike form of man. Is not that the germ of Christianity itself? The greatest of all heroes is one, whom we do not name here, 
Let sacred silence meditate that sacred matter. You will find it in the ultimate perfection of principle exalted through man's whole history on earth. Or coming into lower, less unspeakable provinces, is not all loyalty akin to religious faith also? Faith is loyalty to some inspired teacher, some spiritual hero, and what therefore is loyalty proper, the life breath of all society, but an effluence of hero worship, submissive admiration for the truly great. Society is founded on hero worship. All dignities of rank on which human association rests are what we may call hero-archy, government of heroes or hierarchy, for it is sacred enough with all. The duke means ducks, leader king is Kanning, Kangning, man that knows or cans. Society everywhere is some representation, not insupportably inaccurate, of a graduate worship of heroes, reverence and obedience done to men really great and wise. So Carlyle makes an interesting point here. He suggests that man being a very unique facet of creation is worth worshiping just as much, if not more, as the nature we surround ourselves with. And how much more so a hero among men, if man is created in the image of the divine and the superior man who puts himself forth to save others to create new worlds, to carve a new destiny for others or himself, how much more is that man worth admiration? He points out that the admiration of the hero is built in intrinsically into us through the hierarchies that we operate in within our society, that we naturally acknowledge the hero that we encounter throughout the day puts us in a position where when we build ourselves into becoming our own hero, others and nature itself fold out of the way and allow us to carve our path. This notion invites us to become that much more of the hero for ourselves and those around us and to live the heroic life. For if we will think of it, no time need to be gone to ruin. Could it have found a man great enough, a man wise enough and good enough, wisdom to discern truly what the time wanted, valor to lead it on the right road thither? These are the salvation of any time. But I liken common languid times with their unbelief distress, perplexity with their languid doubting characters and embarrassed circumstances impotently crumbling down into ever worse distress towards final ruin. All this I liken to dry dead fuel, waiting for the lightning out of heaven that shall kindle it. The great man with his free force direct out of God's own hand is the lightning. His word is the wise healing word which all can believe in. All blazes around him now when he has once struck on it into fire like his own, 
The dry, moldering sticks are thought to have called him forth. They did want him greatly, but as to calling him forth, those critics of small vision, who cry, See, is it not the sticks that made the fire? No sadder proof can be given by a man of his own littleness than disbelief in great men. There is no sadder symptom of a generation than such general blindness to the spiritual lightning. With faith only in the heap of barren dead fuel is the last consummation of unbelief. In all epochs of the world's history, we shall find the great man to have been the indispensable savior of this epoch. The lightning without which the fuel never would have burnt. The history of the world, I say, already, was the biography, great men. Such small critics do what they can to promote unbelief and universal spiritual paralysis, but happily, they cannot always completely succeed. In all times, it is possible for a man to arise great enough to feel that they and their doctrines are chimeras and cobwebs, and that what is notable, in no time whatever, can be entirely eradicated out of living men's hearts a certain altogether peculiar reverence for great men. Genuine admiration, loyalty, adoration, however dim and perverted it may be, hero worship endures forever while man endures. So the thing to think about here is your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, everything in life. Those are the sticks being ready to be burned. And you yourself are the hero being called down and given to the sticks by God to set ablaze. As the hero, you bring light. You are the Prometheus of your own life, giving fire to the people. The ultimate hero it's this inner light that you bring and burn for yourself that lights the path for others. It's your actions and your personal belief in yourself and your own reverence for yourself and all of creation around you that you fight to create the world that you want to see. Standing up for what you believe in. Fighting for what's right carving your own path is what makes you a warrior and eventually people in the future will look back and realize that the wonderful world that they have was laid by men like you and that they are living in the biography of great men and the admiration of great heroes like you will live forever as long as mankind endures.